0: Next, on Abounding Grace, how to be alert to the temptations in this world and not be taken in by them.
1: This is amazing grace.
0: It's been said that no one is out of the reach of temptation until they're dead. So what do we do in the meantime so we don't fall prey to them? We'll delve into that very practical question today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've been learning from Romans 12, verse 2, how the devil uses the world to tempt us away from the will of God. And last time we considered the things of this world that he uses. Here now with more is Pastor Ed. You know, most things in this world are neutral.
1: For instance, a piece of paper with ink, green ink printed on it. It's a neutral thing. We commonly call that money. It's neutral. It sits in your pocket right now, not doing anything. It's neutral. It doesn't talk, doesn't have any actions, doesn't have a mind of its own. But in your hand, that piece of paper can either become a godly instrument or a worldly instrument. It can either be used for great good or it can be used for great sin. I mean, you could take a few bucks and you can score some drugs and now that piece of paper has become very ungodly for you as now you get hooked on drugs and waste your money away. Or that same piece of paper can be invested in a missionary that's serving the Lord around the world that lives from day to day wondering where God's going to provide and God's put your heart there, connected your heart and that money gets invested in their life and they continue to serve the Lord and now that piece of paper becomes godly depending on what decision you and I make. The Bible says that money's not the root of all evil. A lot of people have that wrong. Well, money's so evil. No, 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 no. No, the Bible says it's the love of money. You know why? Because you and I were only designed to to deal with one love at a time, not two. Jesus said it very clearly. He says, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one or hate the other, or he'll hate the one and love no one can. That's been a theme Haven't you noticed? Throughout all our time in Romans chapter 12, just the first couple verses we've been in, it's that constant, wholehearted decision. So when you're making decisions, let me give you a few things, if you're taking notes, to consider when you're making decisions with those neutrality things in your life. Number one, does it build you up spiritually? Because if it doesn't build you up spiritually, you may want to avoid it. It may not be from the Lord. Does it build you up spiritually? Number two, Can it bring you under its power? Can it bring you under its power? Because if it can, you may want to avoid it. Number three, does it give you an uneasy conscience? And this is in the realm of those gray areas. You know, it's not quite a sin. It's not quite something that I need to avoid. But is your conscience starting to, and the Holy Spirit takes your conscience and starts to convict you, probably want to avoid it. And number four, and we'll get into this in depth when we study the further chapters in Romans, but number four is what you're about to do, will it stumble someone else? Like not just thinking about yourself now, because it might be okay for you, but could it stumble someone else? You know, the pastors and the leadership of this church make this decision all the time. Whereas you may not, some of the things that, that are free for me to do may stumble you, and so I purposely choose not to go there so you won't be stumbled in your walk, just to point you to the Lord. And I encourage the staff, the leaders, the lay leaders to do the same thing. This is a place where you need to be careful because the standards in my life may not be the standards in your life. I just need to pray that the Lord would minister to you. The Bible says it's the weaker brother that is stumbled. And so you want to be strong. You want to be able to to be strengthened in the inner man and the inner woman so that you're not easily stumbled. And we'll get into that in depth in the future. But I love what Spurgeon says about the world and its influence on the church. Spurgeon, this great Bible orator, Bible teacher, he says this, I believe one reason why the church of God at this time has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. That was true a couple hundred years ago. It's true today. And so we're called to repel the world system's powerful magnetism, to not allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. And I admit It seems pretty strong and strict not to love anything in the world. I mean, didn't God say he created all things richly to enjoy? Yes, he did. And yet at the same time, we need to be careful with all things that were created because they've been twisted. That's what the word perverted means. It means to twist, to take something that was right and twist it into something that's wrong. Where the Bible says in the last days, there'll be a group of people that call evil good. And good evil. That's a twisting of the truth. And I believe we're living in those days, friends, where it's not hard to see good being called evil as believers are standing up for what is right and evil being called good. The world just lies to us constantly. I mean, you've seen it, you've probably heard it. It's a popular phrase. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. How stupid. How ridiculous. That is so not true. You're gonna leave Vegas, right? So what you did there is not gonna stay there. It's gonna go with you. Unless you lost so much money that you had to sell your car and now you're stuck. (laughs) A Lot of used car lots there, you know. It's a facade, Las Vegas. That's all it is. Down the main strip, it's all flash, it's all glitter, it's all beautiful to the eye. But if you just went one block off the strip, you'd see the lives devastated by that kind of lifestyle, by gambling. You know, a gambler, he could sit at a table and in his mind walk into a casino and say, you know, all I need to do is make X. I've got this much in my pocket. It's going to take me this many hands. He got it all figured out. And I'm going to walk out. I'm strong enough to walk out. As soon as I make what I need, as soon as I win it back, because I'm so crafty. Every time you walk into a casino, the odds are against you. Just understand that. That's how they stay in business, to take advantage of people that don't know that and don't think that. Oh, it's a cheap vacation, cheap airfare, cheap food, cheap. No, 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 no. It's not cheap at all. It's very expensive to give part of your life to the devil. It's a very expensive way to live. And so a guy can come up to the table and say, you know, all I needed to make is this much money. They have that much money on the table. They won it. You would think it's time to get up and leave, right? No. No, because there's always a little bit more to win. And instead of winning all that they thought they needed, they lost what they had and what they started with, and they leave in a worse condition than when they went in. Oh, no, that's just for the worst of the worst. How does the worst of the worst start that way? How does that start? How do you get to be so bad that you're willing to gamble away your rent money, your mortgage money? How does that start? You just wake up that day, I think I'm going to throw my life away? Little by little. And so what does the enemy do? Promises much and always delivers little. There's always a price to pay that you didn't see hidden in the fine print. I mean, you you see, there's just so much fine print, you just, you can't even see it with your magnifying glass. There's just so much to pay for going the route of sin. And so, back to 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, John just says flat out, doesn't he, don't love the world. Just don't love it. Don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. Don't do it. You're not going to benefit. You're not going to grow as a believer. You're not going to find the kind of sold out commitment to Jesus that Jesus is looking for. And then he describes in verse 16, for all that is in the world. Is that what your Bible says? Is the word all in your Bible? It is. You know what the word all means in the Greek? It means all, all that's in the world. The lust of the flesh. Number one, if you're taking notes, he identifies it for us. The lust of the flesh. This speaks to our physical appetites. Do you know that God has created every man, woman and child with natural good Wholesome appetites. Did you know that? Like the appetite of hunger is a very good thing because hunger pangs tend to lead us to bring nourishment to our bodies, and hunger is a good thing. God also created every human being with that desire of thirst, right? To keep your body, to keep my body hydrated, we get thirsty, so we take in liquid. Do you know that God has created every man, woman, and child with a sexual drive? that is good. You know, God created sex. He did. It wasn't like Adam and Eve were kind of bored one day in the garden and said, uh, oh, what do you want to do? I don't know. I don't No, God created sex and it's very good as it is enjoyed within the context of a marriage. Sex is great. It's good. God created sex. You know, God also put in a, a desire for rest in our bodies because we need rest, huh? I mean, we can't work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We need to rest. And so the lust of the flesh then takes these natural desires and these natural desires get twisted with the works of our flesh so that hunger now can easily become the sin of gluttony where we take in far more than we need. And that thirst, you know, that desire for thirst, it can so easily become, well, it can lead to drunkenness. But we're taking in, satisfying our thirst with things that are going to harm and hurt us. That sexual desire that God's built into everyone, it can easily be twisted and perverted into fornication and adultery. You know, even that desire for rest, that natural inclination for us to rest could easily become the sin of laziness. And that's what the lust of the flesh does. The next one is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. While the first one speaks to our physical body, this one is a doorway into the mind. The lust of the eyes. We're so caught off with things with our eyes. Have you noticed? We're just so quick to see things with our eyes. Even with our peripheral vision, we see things and immediately it takes our attention. I mean, have you ever noticed maybe you're driving down the highway and a billboard has an advertisement that it's something you're interested in so you want to jot down the phone number so you're looking up, driving, looking up, driving. Before you know it, you know, as you're looking to the billboard, your car starts to veer over to follow your eyes. And pretty soon you're going to be stuck in a ditch and you'll have all the time you need to write down that phone number. (laughs) Because our eyes, well, we follow our eyes. Well, it's not just billboards. I've been seeing this a lot. I bet you guys have too. Primarily among the younger folks that are driving. But it's not just the younger. And that is this whole deal of texting while you're driving. Stop it. Okay? I was following this gal, young gal, coming down Parker Road. And she was like writing a love letter to somebody. She went through all kinds of... And I, I didn't want to honk, right? Because she might get startled. And I didn't want to do that. But I wanted to say, hey, hey. Just call the person, okay? (laughs) But their eyes, they're going to, you know, a lot of accidents are going to happen. They really weren't accidents because they weren't putting their eyes on the road. And things are going to happen because you're going to follow your eyes. That's why, again, you know, we need to teach our kids at a young age to avert their eyes. You know, because you see something at the market or on TV or up on a billboard or wherever it might be, or something just pops on your computer and you didn't ask it to be there, Just seeing that isn't necessarily sin. It's temptation. But it's not necessarily sin. It's what you do with it afterwards of whether it turns into sin or not. The enemy's slick, man. He knows. He's going to use. These are this this triad, this unholy trinity of temptations and tools in the devil's toolbox. He's been using them forever. And he knows if he can get our eyes, most likely we're going to follow our eyes. Unless we learn to avert our eyes very quickly. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. He understood the value of keeping his eyes only for his wife. He knew what a danger that was. Maybe some of you have seen this. We've learned this over the years, taking our kids to Disneyland or Disney World, that they have those horses go up and down Main Street. You notice that? They're carrying kids, and, you know, and it's crazy. The kids are crazy, throwing their stuff at the horses, slapping the horses. You know, just, it's craziness. There's millions of people yelling and screaming at horses. Why don't they get mad, man? and say, hey, you, you know, and just slap them. or just, The horses don't do that. They just keep walking. You notice that? They just keep walking. If you look real carefully, their heads are down and they've got these blinders on. And if you do that to you, just do it right now. Do it. You can see you miss a lot of stuff. You just take them away. You go, wow, I could see the whole room. But when I got my blinders on, and I think that there's that sense in our lives, church, where we have to have spiritual blinders on, where we only see the things the Lord has for us. And if something slips in or some temptation comes our way that circumvents our blinders, then we just quickly get our eyes back on. Boom, right back on. I'm not going to meditate on that picture. I'm not going to meditate on what I just saw. I'm not going to think about it, but I'm going to say, oh no, Lord, that's not your will for my life. I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my kids. I love my Christian life. I am not going down that path. And it's just very simple. You get into the habit of it because you can't help it. Stuff's all over the place. It's crazy. And that's the world in which you and I live. He doesn't want to pull you out of the world because... Like your job could be something really neutral. I mean, it's not good and it's not bad. It's, it's just something that's necessary for our society to run and you love doing it. And you think, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything godly here. No, no, you are because you're surrounded by people there. But you can make your job something just, you know, you can make your job something very ungodly. You, can, you know, some of you work for bosses that are asking you to do things all the time that are ungodly. And the the, the phrase, there's another phrase that goes around when it comes to this topic. It's like, well, well, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. You ever hear that? That's so dumb. That doesn't make any sense. So how about this? When in Rome, be a Christian. Because you know, Christians in Rome, when they were asked to pinch incense to Caesar and bow down to the image of Caesar and, and idolatry, they gave up their lives instead of pinching incense to that image. So, well, you know, when I'm in the business world, I got to be something different. No, no, you don't. The Bible says you can go out into the business world and be very successful and keep your integrity. Of course you can. God's blessed you. You can do a lot of great things in this world if you choose not to compromise and cave into to the pressure of this world. If you choose to use the gifts and talents that God has given you in a very neutral place, And to allow the Holy Spirit just to blow your mind with how he wants to use you. I mean, certainly it could be used for sin, I'm sure. I mean, even in the realm of being a pastor, pastors take the position as a pastor and they use it for sinful stuff, man. It's wrong. You should use it for the glory of God, for his righteousness and his goodness. And so we got to be careful with the eye gate because the eye gate is often the doorway to sin. The appearances of this world, covetousness. We see something that someone else has. It's not just in the realm of sexual sin. We can see some, something that someone else has, and, and then we're just caught up with it. Who, who of us haven't been caught up with that? Covetousness is so important to God that He has it in the top 10 of things to avoid. You know, the big 10 thou shalt not covet, because He knows that the lust of the eyes is a powerful temptation. Not only that, the third one is the pride of life. This has to do with our ego and our personality. I know if I took a survey today and I said, hey, 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 church, how many of you think you're arrogant today? Like, no hands are going, I'm, I'm arrogant, that's me. I'm so full of pride that... No, no, that's the problem with pride. We, we don't admit it. And then it just builds on itself. But the pride of life is a temptation that builds on that, well, the truth that you won't admit it, the truth that you won't repent, the truth that I will cling to pride, and I will be an arrogant man and still pretend to be a Christian. It's so easy to fall prey to the world's trap. The pride of life speaks of wanting to impress other people, wanting to... Be better and one-up others. Wanting the world's admiration. Wanting wanting things from the world that only God can give. Wanting to outrank someone. Wanting to outshine someone. When all the while God wants us to come alongside as servants to one another. Not in competition. And the pride of life gets us. I mean, if you want to study this further, you can jot these down. These are the same three things that the devil got Eve with in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. You can read it and you can identify each one of them as she sees the fruit and the devil rips her off. These are the same three things that ripped Achan off. Remember Achan? There with the children of Israel coming into the promised land. They go into the city of Ai, they're told not to touch anything. But you'll see the same three things bury Achan, and as a result, his whole family paid the price. Joshua chapter 6 is where that is. And you know what? You'll also see these same three. The devil sees he's not that slick because he comes to Jesus with the same three temptations and Jesus says, you know, it is written and he resists all three of them. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 4. Because these are, these are things that we all face and it's good to be reminded. It's good to be reminded that the world is trying to press us into its mold. Notice verse 17 as we head out today. It says the world is passing away. It's not going to last, church. This world and its system is passing away. And if you invest in this world, it's not going to last. It's only temporary. This world is not of the Father, he's already said. He said, this world system's not of the Father. We can't have competing loves. We're only designed to love one thing, one person at a time with this kind of self-sacrificial love. And that love is reserved for God alone. The world's passing away. And the lust of it. That's good news. Be a day without temptation. That'll be cool. That'll be wonderful. But notice, he who does the will of God abides forever. As we live in the will of God and we... Do the will of God. There's this eternality there. Love what God loves. Hate what God hates. And that's my heart for us. That we can't think of these things as someone else, but just for us. Lord, put your finger on the worldliness in my life. You tell me. You show me. Put your finger on the things that are holding me back. I mean, you're asking for the will of God, and, and the answer keeps coming back the same, doesn't it? My will is for you to stop. My will is for you to start. My will is for you to pay attention. And you want the big picture. You want the 30-year plan, and God's given you the 32nd. This is in your life. Please stop it. And then just a the floodgate of God's revelation starts to flow in your life. As the Lord leads us in discovering his will for our lives, remember that the world's trying to conform you into its will and it's into its image. It's not just for us, but for the generation coming up below us, behind us, that we as the adult Christians really need to stand up for what's right, stand up for what's godly, to be a strong force in the days in which we live.
0: Amen. A timely word from Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. He'll be right back. Before we wrap things up, I do want to mention a few things that may be of interest to you. For those who would like to hear this study from Romans again, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also have an app, and that's a great way to catch Abounding Grace when it's most convenient. Listen to us on your mobile device. You can download it for free when you search for Calvary Aurora. Calvary Aurora. There's a lot that goes into making all this happen, as you might imagine. And we look to the Lord to provide and guide. And if He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either monthly support or a one-time donation, first of all, thank you. And second, we'd like to send you something as a tangible expression of our gratitude. When you give $25 or more, you're invited to request Don Stewart's excellent book, 25 Signs We Are Near the End. In these difficult days, many are wondering how close we are to the end. Well, Don Stewart looks to the Bible to help you answer that. He believes there are 25 signs that would suggest we are near the end, like the miracle of Israel's survival, the preparations being made to build the third temple. The stage is also being set for the Ezekiel 38 and 39 invasion. Read all about it in 25 signs we are near the end. Just call 877-30-GRACE and we can take your request. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. Hasn't it been neat to see how the Lord has used live streaming during the global pandemic? While nothing can compare to meeting together in person, it is a great way to worship and study the Word when you need to stay at home. At Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, we live stream Saturday evenings at 6, And on Sunday mornings at 845 and 1045, that's Mountain Standard Time. Just go to calvaryco.church to watch those services or watch through our app. Now with a look at what's ahead of us next time we're together, here again is Pastor Ed. You know, there's a great
1: battle going on in the church today, and often we confuse the battle we sometimes think that the battles in our lives are with other people. That's the real battle. I've got to put my dukes up with other people. Or we think that the battle is with the government. And if we could just change the government, the battle would be over. Or the battles with the neighbor, the battles with a husband, the battles with the spouse, the battles with the kid. But listen, the Bible says this: we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is a spiritual battle going on that sometimes involves other human beings. But listen, the real battle that goes on in your life and mine is right here between our ears. A battle for the mind. A battle for the thinking of your life. Or put more simply, a battle for what you will believe or not believe. There's always this constant battle of believing the truth or
0: believing the lie. More on this battle and how to win it next time on Abounding Grace. I should add, not just win it, but be transformed in our thinking so we can know the very will of God. That's coming up on Monday's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor.
1: This is amazing grace.